Unlocking What Was Cool. Hosted by Mike Lane and Neil Gilbert. promptly told to leave the yoga class. Wow, that is discrimination, Neil. Uh, they'll be hearing from my lawyer, Sir Anthony Toadsworth. Sir Anthony Toadsworth, of course, is now practicing law back from the dead to, to represent uh, Lincoln Park lawsuits. As he should be. But uh, we are live, Neil. Oh, Mike, well, thank you so much for joining me today. Got a great show today. It's going to be a lot of fun. But I got to ask you, we haven't talked about this in a long time. What have you been playing recently, Mike? Have you been uh, diving into any interesting video games on the PS5 or Switch or GameCube? Have you been checking out any new TV series? What, what's uh, what's new in your life? What's a GameCube? Never never heard of that. No, it's, it's, a, it's an ancient thing that, uh, that mm. boomers play. Ah, I see. Yeah. Well, uh, since we don't have to talk about GameCube games every week anymore, I haven't played GameCube for a while, actually, sadly. Um, mm. Got to go back to it. I want to play Metroid Prime on the Cube and then play Prime on uh, Switch and buy that because that's uh, that'd be really cool to see the see the full differences. But um, no, I, I've mostly been playing Hogwarts Legacy nice. because that game is massive. And for anyone who's played The Witcher, for it's basically The Witcher, but in Harry Potter world. And uh, and so you know how long that will take and how many side quests <laughs> and dumb side quests <laughs> there are uh, in, in this too. But it's, a, it's it's been a ton of fun. I've racked up um, probably 40 or 50 hours already on it. Can easily do so much more. It's such a big open world, much like Breath of the Wild as well. So uh, that's where most of my gaming time has gone. I, I've dabbled with the Game Boy Advance uh, player on uh, the Nintendo Switch and have also been uh, eagerly awaiting, and now finally we have it, uh, the Pokemon Stadium on the N64, which is so much fun. I love, love the mini games, so going to be playing that a lot too. But uh, what about you, Neil? What are you, what are you playing right now? Well, I was going to ask you about Hogwarts Legacy. Are you going to go for the Platinum mm-hmm. in that one? I don't remember if we mentioned that. I, I don't know. It's not that hard to get, it seems like. I haven't actually looked at what the hidden trophies are. I might check what those are first and then see how uh, see if I'll platinum it. But I have most of the trophies already so far. Oh, wow. A lot of them I got accidentally uh, nice. for the most part. Haven't haven't trophy hunted, and I am trying to hundred percent the game in terms of getting all the you know getting all the collectibles. It is a collectathon. Uh, mm-hmm. It's masked in an RPG, but it's a collectathon at the end of nice. the day. <laughs> I, I I can't wait to play it, man. I'm so excited. Like yeah. it keeps. On, I'm waiting for the PS4 version. We'll see how that ends up looking. I hope it's going to be good. I, I feel so bad because I got that for my uh, for my fiance for Christmas back when uh, February was the uh, date. I believe it was meant, meant to be day and date on PS4. So that was the original mm-hmm. idea, and then it got kicked to April, and now now it's been kicked to the week after Zelda comes out. So now I'm basically not going to be able to play that until I've beat uh, Tears of the Kingdom, which is what I'm anticipating right now. So uh, yeah, lots to play right now on Switch and PS4, which is a nice feeling, but I've been completely sidetracked. I Since the Game Boy Advance uh, service has come out on Switch, I've been playing that. Basically, any nice. free chance that I get to, uh, to play a video game, I, I beat Super Mario Advance 4, Super Mario Bros. 3. Which everybody knows is a terrible name for a video game, but it's basically <laughs> the uh, the port of Mario Bros. Three in Super Mario World art style. It's a terrific game. I absolutely adored it. I had never played it before on Game Boy Advance. I had played the NES version, of course, but I love the uh, the, the new graphics and it looks great on uh, on Switch. Played most mm-hmm. of it handheld. Uh, I did not use the the rewind function. I didn't like make save points. <laughs> no, I didn't make save points in the level. I did eventually make 
save points later in the game when it just got annoying to traverse the map and I didn't want to get kicked off of a level. Like, it got to the point where I just wanted to play the level over and over again. If I died, I could quickly start it again. So I did use the save point, uh, what do they call it, the, the load point insertions. I did put those in there for those moments, just because it was getting annoying to sit through the whatever Mario death screen or game over screen I was getting. I just wanted to be done with it, so I did use that towards the end. But rolled credits on that. It's a fantastic game, and I just recently... Uh, moved over to Metroid Fusion, which is nice. a lot of fun. That's a great game. I highly recommend, Mike, you check that one out. If you're going to be playing Metroid Prime twice in a row, it might take you a little bit of time uh, to, <laughs> to get to it. But if uh, if you're uh, itching for a good 2D Metroid game, that's a good one too. A bit chattier than uh, Return of Samus and uh, Metroid Dread that we got late in 2021, I guess it was. Um, I like the 2D Metroids better than the 3D Metroids, so I'm enjoying it so far. Uh, but that's what I've been playing uh, for the most part are just classic Switch games. I'm really excited to play uh, Pokemon Stadium, like you said, just came out. I can't wait to play that with you and with our friends. Uh, that is definitely like a boys' night game to play. Like everybody, don't yeah. look while I make my team, and then you, I don't look when you make your team, and then <laughs> you know making interesting. You can only pick bug types or whatever. I love or only you know first evolutions. I love putting limitations on that game like that. So yeah, I have. I have vivid memories playing that game and playing in your basement Mm -hmm. um, when we were kids. And I remember doing that a lot. But for me, I never really liked the the battling system. I I know it's really good, but I I was just there for the minigames. I loved the minigames so much. The Magikarp Mm -hmm. game. Um, where you're trying to make Magikarp jump, I, I got that rhythm <laughs> down. I remember trying to see, like, what's the world record? Can I beat, like, the world record on this? And Because uh, I, I think you can obviously glitch it, but um, I, I came pretty close to, like, what, like, the record should be, so... I was proud of myself. That's cool. I when I was a kid, I played the mini games a little bit. It was always about the battling. I loved being able to pick a team of my yeah. six Pokemon and then go up against the Elite Four or whoever it was. The game's hard as nails, but I just I'm I'm so nostalgic for that music, man. Like the the menu music and the sound of the you know navigating between practice or battle or uh, local co-op or story mode or anything like that. Like that map, the the way that you can access the menus and the way you navigate the menus is so nostalgic for me. I remember playing that game must have been grade one or kindergarten at a friend's house. Mm. And I love the Pokemon spinoff games. Like as much as I do love the, the original games on Game Boy and Game Boy Color and a few on DS and 3DS, I, it's it's the spinoffs for me, really. Like I love Snap, Stadium, Pokemon Go, um, Pokemon Puzzle League, all, all that stuff. Our, our... Sparks are flying in this heated <laughs> battle. I love that. Sparks are flying in this heated battle. I wonder where that guy is. That's good. I wonder where that, that announcer is these days. Should... Let's get him on the podcast uh, because Definitely. you know we're, we're going to talk about Pokemon Stadium at some point in this podcast. Yeah. Uh, maybe next year for the 25th anniversary because uh, it's a 99 game. So Ooh, Yeah, there'll be a lot of 1999 games and uh, 2004 games next year, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but Mike, we got to talk about some uh, stuff from 2003 still, which seems to be the theme of, uh, of this podcast so far. So uh, why don't we introduce the topic of today's show? What do you think? Let's do it, Neil. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode seven of the Unlocking What Was Cool podcast, the show about all things retro that we loved from our childhood. New episode every Thursday on all the major podcast services. We are the number one podcast on the internet, hosted by people named Mike and Neil. You can support the show on patreon.com forward slash unlocking what was cool. Supporters at the $5 level get to submit a topic and vote on our monthly Patreon elected episode. All patrons also get the show ad free. Last week, we talked about the classic 1993 
1983 Batman animated film, Mask of the Phantasm. If you haven't already, go back and check it out. This week, we are celebrating another anniversary of an album this week, which was released back in 2003, an album that was in everybody's CD players when we were in grade school and middle school and high school and Honestly, it's probably still in most people's workout rotation today. I'm, of course, talking about the classic Linkin Park album, their second studio album, Meteora. Mike, what are your uh, memories of Linkin Park back in the day? Because this band goes back all the way to the uh, late 90s, early 2000s, so 20 years old, or 24 years old at this point for Linkin Park. Yeah, I mean, 2000 Hybrid Theory, that was their, their mm-hmm. big debut, that was huge. Uh, we were a little too young to 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 be super into it when it first came out, but, uh, you know, obviously, remember the songs, I remember uh, playing some of those songs too, and, and, and I think at this time, uh, people think of, like, these albums coming out as these big, uh, monolithic, like, events, but... For kids, it really didn't work that way. You really discovered these songs not through these albums, but through video games uh, or through uh, compilation CDs, like Big Shiny Tunes. Big Shiny uh, <laughs> Tunes. I was just about to say that. Yeah, good one. <laughs> that's, that's really where where songs like these ones were discovered. Um, and, and so it's funny to, like, to think of now for us, how we like eagerly await albums from artists or when we discover an artist, we just check out their album. But like back then it just was like, well, I heard this in NHL 03. So this is, <laughs> this is now my favorite song. Uh, how do I find this? Like half the time you didn't even know what the band was, right? You just knew the song. And, and I find that Linkin Park was definitely that for us at the beginning, uh, when we were kids, it just was something that your older brother had or something that, that, yep. uh, was in a, a video game or a compilation. And that was definitely me. I remember hearing this in or hearing songs from hybrid theory in in other stuff. And I vividly remember my cousin having Meteora. He bought Meteora when it came out and that was a big deal for him because he was, he's three years older than me. And, I was like, oh yeah, like Lincoln Park, like not knowing anything about Lincoln Park, <laughs> but just like, yeah, like I know the, that band. And then we listened to it. I remember we uh, listened to it at his house, and we're like, this is so cool. And then he uh, let me borrow it months later after he had probably, you know, listened to it enough. And I put it in my Walkman uh, that mm-hmm. I had at the time, of course. And uh, I had some Forty Ones, Chuck. I had Green Day's American Idiot, which had had just come out probably this is like early 2004 and what a then, time i know what a time <laughs> and then i <laughs> and then i of course had uh lincoln parks meteora and i played that cd so much and um i guess it wasn't until like 10 years later when i was in university that i kind of rediscovered lincoln park mm-hmm. again and, and went back into their discography and and um and got to reminisce about the 2000 2003 days with uh with friends from from college um then i was like oh yeah like that's i kind of forgot about lincoln park because for me at least and i don't know about you neil but i, I kind of fell off them you know after 2005 2006 whenever they had their follow-up after meteora i forget it's the one where they're all standing it's the six figures standing around um i should yeah. know this we're doing a episode about lincoln park <laughs> uh but the follow-up to meteora i didn't i didn't get into that album that much and so after that i kind of dropped off but yeah that's uh that's my my general history. Obviously, we'll go nice. into a lot more history for us and memories about Linkin mm-hmm. Park. But what about you, Neil? Where did, where did it all start? Was it Big Shiny Tunes? 
Yeah, I mean, it might have been Big Shiny Tunes. It was really just that I got a I got a CD player for my ninth birthday or so. And my brother, like you said, your older brother has all the CDs. That was definitely me because I have a brother who's five years older than me. So he had uh, he didn't have Green Day or he didn't have any of the bands that I liked right away. Anyway, he had like he had Linkin Park. He had uh, my brother's really much into like the post grunge. So he had like Puddle of Mud and uh, <laughs> Creed. He did have Creed. He has like Hootie and the Blowfish. He's got a really weird, uh, I guess that early 2000s, that post grunge, new metal, rap rock kind of. He even had a random system of a down CD in there, which was awesome. Uh, but he also had bands like Three Days Grace and he had Linkin Park's Meteora. And, you know, I would, I was trying to get into other music and I had no money at the time. So I really, you really only had whatever CDs your parents had, which, you know, I've talked about before. My parents had Fleetwood Mac and ELO and the Beatles and Queen. So, you know, I had already listened to a bunch of those. So I started to kind of start to sift through what he had. And, and one of them was this, this really cool, you know, light blue, black album. There's a guy spray painting on the front, Linkin Park on the front. So I was like, all right, I'll, I'll check this CD out. And, and I did and instantly obsessed with it right away. I remember the first song I heard was, uh, Breaking the Habit. That was for, for whatever reason, that was the first song that I landed on. I think I actually discovered that song before this CD. I remember a friend of ours in the neighborhood showed me this, this band, Uh, we were skateboarding outside or whatever. And I remember specifically that song coming on. So that might've actually happened first, but eventually I listened to this, the album all the way through and it might've been around, it wasn't right when the CD came out. It might've been 2004, 2005. I think I was around 11 years old when I really got into this CD, mm-hmm. uh, Meteora, and listening to it, basically every t- every game, hockey game, being driven with, yeah. by my parents, I was listening to that in the car uh, on my Discman, you know, starting with the, the sound of the glass breaking in the opening song and then Don't Stay. Just that song is such a hype song to listen to before you're playing house league hockey at the end of 11, <laughs> at the age of 11. It's a, it's a good mix. But honestly, I think the album is great. Best listened to on CD. Um, I've never listened to it on vinyl, never listened to it on a track, but I've listened to it on Spotify. And for some reason, the tracks don't blend together as well as they did when they were mixed on CD. So that was the best way to listen to it. And I did, I listened to that CD on repeat for the better part of a year or so. Uh, and eventually, like you said, I, I got into their other stuff in high school, specifically discovering hybrid theory and uh, some of the remixes like hybrid theories, uh, the reanimation, which I think came out before Meteora or just after I forget there was a remix of hybrid theory that was really good and then uh, their follow-up album minutes to midnight that was the one you were talking about That's came out one. yeah that came out in 2007 Seven. late yeah. four years after Meteora yeah yeah it took them a while but they were they were hot off of hybrid theory and Meteora and uh, they had to reinvent their they reinvented their sound after Meteora you can tell yeah a uh, bit of a different vibe uh, minutes to Midnight had, and and they also got that Transformers money, and they were being <laughs> featured in video games, like you said. They were all over uh, Guitar Hero and Rock Band, and uh, some NHL games, and uh, I believe some FIFA games as well. They were even used like the Catalyst, which was a pretty big song when we were in high school, was used uh, for Medal of Honor. So I did I did kind of fall off after Meteora. I did like Minutes to Midnight. There's a few tracks on there that I really like, but I definitely fell off uh, their releases after Minutes to Midnight. I didn't. I don't think i've listened to a thousand suns or uh any of their other albums from start to finish at all really except for hunting party which is a 2014 album which is like their hidden gem of albums i mm. highly recommend anybody that likes the first two lincoln park albums 
If you haven't really enjoyed their later stuff that got a bit lighter, it got a bit more poppy, definitely check out their uh, album Hunting Party. It's way more rough, way more raw. Uh, Chester's doing his screaming uh, that he always did back in the day, so it's a really good album. And that is what really hooked me on the band when I first listened to them was Chester Bennington, their lead vocalist, uh, screamer. Uh, His vocal range was absolutely incredible, something that... I haven't really, I hadn't heard before, that's for sure, and yeah. really nothing since. His vocal range, there's nobody like him out there, and the way that he he pairs with Mike Shinona, uh, they're an incredible pair together, and of course their backup musicians, the, uh, the guitar player, bassist, and drummer, all fantastic. And it just it's it's a pretty unique blend of musicians too. Like the fact that you have six members, you have uh, what's it's uh, John or uh, Joe Johan, who's kind of the yep. the mixing guy. Um, and and then obviously uh, Mike Shinoda doing the kind of rap vocals, and then Chester doing the clean vocals. Um, I mean, this was a this was definitely like the new metal kind of rap rock era. Like they came in at the perfect time. Like they definitely were a, yeah. a benefit of timing. You know, coming in at two thousand in two thousand. Like this was all the world was doing at this point. Like, <laughs> like 99 new metal is like super big. I mean, you're just off the hot off the tails of um of Rage Against the Machine. Uh, for the last 10 years almost, really lighting up the charts and being a fantastic band. A lot of these bands were inspired by them and obviously inspired by 90s and later 90s hip-hop too. So it's like this was the time for Linkin Park to be a band and, you know, they killed it. But uh, they weren't always Linkin Park. Um, They were uh, were Zero at -hmm. first and then they were Hybrid Theory. Uh, That -hmm. was the actual initial name. And then uh, they decided to change it because I think there's a band named Hybrid who was on the same label um, yeah. or something like that. So they they changed it, went to Lincoln Park, uh, and you know spelt it uh, Lincoln because it's cool. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they they spelled it Lincoln. I mean, I, that confused me for years the proper spelling of the word Lincoln because honestly, it looks like they spell it correctly. L I N C O L N just doesn't look correct once you know Lincoln Park is a band. They did have other band names in mind though when they were trying to come up with their name after the discovering Hybrid was a different band. Some other ideas that we could be listening to today, Mike, would be Plear, Platinum Lotus Foundation, and Lincoln Park. I think there were a few others in there. I'm very happy that they settled on Lincoln Park. Plear. Uh, Plear just sounds like uh, like a post grunge yeah, tool kind of band. Yeah, definitely. You could see that on one of those posters for sure. Yeah, they f- they formed back in 1996, so they've been a band for almost 30 years. I know that they've been on a bit of a hiatus since Chester Bennington died back in 2017, which, of course, was incredibly sad for anybody who listens to alternative rock, rap rock, new metal. Uh, I remember working, I was at work that day at the grocery store, and pretty much every single employee under the age of 35, like, had a moment of, like, silence for him. Like, everybody, like, guy, girl, didn't matter. Like, the bearded dudes in the back and the cashiers at the front. Like, everybody was checking their phones, getting updates. What happened? What's happening to the band? You know, is this true? It was it was one of those, like, basically like another one of the Robin Williams moments where everybody from our era was heavily impacted by Chester Bennington's suicide. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was really sad. And, and obviously the band has not recovered since. Uh, I, I doubt that they ever will. And Nor should it, it just, I mean, no, no, like, it, that, that was the, you know, it's the, the band is the duo of Mike and, and Chester yeah. for sure. And without Chester, then you don't really have a band anymore. It's like, it's like sublime with, um, with Bradley Noel, uh, yeah. and, and like they do sublime with Rome, which is, you know, yeah. it's, it's like, 
it's not good sublime. enough. It's not sublime though. Yeah, it's just like yeah. it's like they're going to make their money touring and stuff. But I'm sure I'm sure Lincoln Park uh, can make their money with their 20th anniversary yeah. of uh, a meteor coming out. Yeah, definitely. That new album is fantastic. We're going to talk a little bit about it later. They they obviously did make their money on album sales. They've sold over 100 million records worldwide. 30 million of those were Hybrid Theory. So they're definitely one of those bands like with Weezer where they hit it big on their first album, which can be a blessing and a curse for a band. Like if their first album is huge, it makes the follow-up album very stressful because you have, you know, fans are expecting better. Uh, And honestly, I think that they did do better with Meteora. I think it is a better record than Mm. Hybrid Theory. So I'm excited to talk about it today. But before we jump into the album itself, Mike, we need to do a quick Spotify review of Linkin Park, which we did back on the Weezer episode where we check out the band's top streamed product or album and uh, we rank it and see if it is the correct subjective opinion of us. Uh, So right now, Linkin Park from their... Uh, their top four highest uh, streamed albums. Right now we have number four is One More Light, which was their last album in 2017. Living Things, which is their album from 2012. And then their top two products right now are both singles. And I don't like that Spotify does this where they put singles in their uh, popular releases. So number two is Lost, which is an amazing single off of the 20th Mm -hmm. anniversary uh, album. And number one right now is Fighting Myself, which... uh, to date is their latest single coming off the record before it came out. Um, so how do you feel about that? Uh, those top four, Mike? If you could pick their top four albums that should be in that list, what would you pick? I mean, it certainly wouldn't be that, but this is Spotify pushing the newest stuff, right? So that, yeah. that makes sense. It's interesting. So you can actually see a lot more, Neil, if you zoom out in Spotify or if you have a bigger screen. Uh, you can you can see even more albums that are in that top um, list because it's not just four. It just depends on your screen size. Uh, uh, yeah, fun, uh, fun knowledge drop here. But even after that, after One More Light is Numb slash Encore, of course, the, the, the classic mashup, uh, with Mm -hmm. Jay-Z, uh, then we have Meteora, the album, then we have Collision Course, the EP with Jay-Z, then we have Hybrid Theory, 20th Anniversary, and then we have Hunting Party. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's still not, you know, it's still not what I want for my top. So I think the top (laughs) one should probably be the newest album that makes sense so so let's just let's say it's uh it's meteora 20 that'll be the top okay. one number one mm-hmm. um right after that hybrid theory 20 obviously that's just mm-hmm. makes sense that's that should be the biggest one that is their biggest album in terms of sales obviously so yeah. and then after that i love the idea of having a hunting party because i actually don't really know that album very much at all i would love to jump into that more and learn more about it um, and maybe one day in 2040, we'll be able to, <laughs> to do Hunting Party <laughs> as an episode. Then after that, I don't mind doing like a Numb Encore or Collision Course or some kind of something different, something with the remixes or mashups uh, as the last hmm. one. Cool. I, I think you're right about the, t- the first two being their 20th anniversary versions of their original stuff. That was their most popular, at least yeah. in the alternative rock scene. So yeah, number one should be Meteora 20th anniversary, number two, Hybrid Theory anniversary. And then for three and four, I would probably go with Minutes to Midnight, just because it had the most, it had a lot of radio success in Dude. the late 2000s, early 2010s, especially with the Transformers movies. It had quite a few singles and a few tracks on that album I actually really like. I remember it had uh, What I've Done on it, which felt like it was being played on the radio every five minutes back in 2007, 2008. So that record makes sense to have in in Spotify's uh, top four. And then One More Light, because it was their last album, it got a lot of... uh, 
publicity after Chester Bennington's suicide. So it's it's last it's Lincoln Park's last studio record. Uh, so those four make a lot of sense. But yes, Mike, definitely check out Hunting Party after we're done recording <laughs> this. Do it while you're working out, though. Like it's definitely not an album to fall asleep to or to cook to. <laughs> definitely one that you need to be doing something uh, physical or you know something angry. You know. Sure, sure. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, no, that's that's good. <laughs> yeah, sounds good. I, I love talking about the history and all the stories around Lincoln Park. But we're here today to talk about one specific record, which is Meteora. And Meteora was released on March twenty fifth, two thousand and three. Performed by Lincoln Park, produced by Don Gilmore and Lincoln Park, clocks in at thirty six minutes and thirty five seconds. It sold sixteen million copies, which is the same as Weezer's Blue album. We only talk about albums that sold sixteen million copies, apparently. It's a rap. <laughs> rock, alt-rock, new metal album, and for those of you that don't know, Meteora is a large rock formation in Greece and literally translates to Suspended in the Air, and that's what this album is named after, and the cover art is a spray-painting artist named Boris Teligan, a.k.a. Delta. So, Mike, let's jump into the track listing of Meteora. When we hit the back of the case of the CD, what uh, what songs are we seeing? Well, of course, we're starting with Forward, uh, which is the kind of little intro uh, interlude song that they start off with. And one thing I really love about this album is that the fact that there is no silence really ever in the album. There's always something that's threading it through. So, uh, of course, there's been many great albums who've done that, where it's like um, it feels like one seamless track. And and some tracks are definitely more than others in here. Like Don't Stay goes into uh, Somewhere I Belong really nicely. And of course, those are the next two songs, uh, Don't Stay and Somewhere I Belong. And I know you love uh, uh, at least one of those songs. Both of them, probably. <laughs> <laughs> I love all the songs on this album. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, the uh, the track listing is really good. I love listening to this album from front to back. It's it's weird when you get this album on shuffle. Like, it's one of those albums that you really can't listen to on shuffle. Or if, like, you know, it, you're listening to the song, maybe one of these songs appears on a playlist. It's weird, like, not hearing Figure 9 go into Breaking the Habit, yeah. which is... Uh, one of my favorite songs on the album. So it's a really good point. I, I had never heard back in the day the forward, the the first 13 seconds of the song being just the sound of... I always assumed it was glass being broken. Is that what it is? I think so, with some uh, like augmentation or something going on there. Of course, there's a lot of kind of backwards uh, stuff. The, all the sound effects on this album and all the, the, the scratches and everything like that, uh, very 2003. You know, that's 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 where the album definitely dates itself is really just mm-hmm. like the sound effects, if you want to call them those. The reversing everything for some reason was really big in the early 2000s. People loved reversing uh, little guitar tracks and stuff to make it cool and edgy. But it does work yeah. in the context of this, especially in the sense that this is a, a very much like a, a hybrid a hybrid theory album, a hybrid mm. <laughs> kind of album in terms of genres. So so those uh, those sound effects work, but it does date the album for sure. A little bit. It, I mean, it's a perfect follow-up to Hybrid Theory, like you said. Like, I, I'm a huge fan of their first album. Like, it, it, there's no debating that, that that album is a classic 2000 record. Uh, I will say, though, that uh, Meteora is my preferred album. It just feels like what they did with Hybrid Theory, everything just a little bit more refined. Uh, the production feels a little bit higher. It doesn't feel quite as rough around the edges. Uh, the guitar parts especially sound a lot better. Um, even the drums, like, they feel, I feel like the drums and the guitars are a lot tighter in this record. Uh, Joe Han is just an absolute 
crazy DJ or what do you call him a DJ scratcher I don't even know yeah. uh, I had never heard anything like this and you're right it is it is a very much a 2000s thing like reminds me of like Limp Biscuit or I, I can't even think of too many other bands like it because this is all I listened to that did anything like it and unfortunately they did get away from this sound I, I do miss it I wish that they would or yeah. you know could go back to it but their their stuff just got a bit softer a bit poppier in the later years other than Hunting Party so it is a snapshot of 2003 but if you listen to it today, 20 years later, it still is an amazing album to listen to from front to back. I, I am jealous of people who get to hear it for the first time, which I'm sure a lot of people right now, younger folks out there are because of the 20th anniversary album that uh, that just came out. Yeah, I mean, like the sequencing is really, really solid on this and, and definitely uh, listening to it and also looking at their live sets, which is really mm-hmm. interesting. I was doing that for uh, listening to the new uh, 20th anniversary edition because that was really cool to see their live sets in Nottingham and then in uh, Texas as well that they have on there. Mm-hmm. Uh, just just want to take you through the live set uh, set list here, Neil. Session is, is how they open it, which I thought was really interesting. That's kind mm-hmm. of a, a cool way to, to open in the set and then you know go right into don't stay arguably probably the hardest or like the heaviest song uh yeah. on the uh in the track listing somewhere i belong uh is is not, uh, comes up right after that uh, lying from you uh paper cut now we're going to some other non uh well basically all the hybrid theory songs here uh paper cut points of authority runaway and then we have faint from the inside hit the floor with you crawling in the end a place for my head and one step closer i would kill to go back to 2003 to see that show like <laughs> dude that's one of those bands like up there with seeing like no doubt in 1995-96 like lincoln park in 2003-2004 my god those, those shows must have been insane uh do you have a favorite track or two maybe a couple tracks off the uh off the album yeah, I mean, uh, everyone's always got their favorites for for albums like this, and I think for me, it's probably "Numb" or "Somewhere I Belong." "Numb" being, uh, I always thought it was interesting. "Numb" is the last track on the album. Uh, it's, I think it's, well, it's arguably the biggest song off this album. Numb is just such a great song. I love the distorted piano kind of uh, intro, of course, that goes throughout it. And then Somewhere I Belong is a song that I kind of forgot about a little bit until this week and last week, listening to Meteor, getting into this episode. I really love that song. I love listening to, to Don't Stay and then listening to Somewhere I Belong right after that. I don't know. There's something about like the intro to that, too, that I, that I really like. What about you, Neil? Yeah, those are both great tracks. Like, I mean, you still hear Numb in stadiums. Like, when you go to a sporting oh, yeah. event, Numb is still a song that you'll hear, usually remixed or something. So it stood the test of time uh, above all the other ones. So I think you're right to say that, objectively, it's probably the biggest song off the album. For me, I, I got to go with Breaking the Habit just because it was the first song I heard on this album. I don't know what's worth fighting for or why I have to scream. I don't know why I instigate and say what I don't mean. I don't know how I got this way. I know it's not all right, so I 
I think that song is really cool. It's got a great meaning with Chester's battle with uh, with drug abuse and uh, there's all all around abuse throughout his life. Unfortunately, it's it's a really so interesting. It's not actually about his drug abuse. Oh, really? Yeah. So I lo- I looked this up. I did some um I did some uh, investigation. This was actually Mike's song. Mike wrote this song. Oh no uh, way. Yeah, yeah. So he apparently had been trying to write a song with this lyrical idea about a friend of his for over five years, and huh. he kept trying it, uh, and then he finally kind of uh, uh, figured out uh, a melody with it, and then worked on it for a while. Uh, he did some. Uh, he was working on it on piano too, and then um, it just kind of came together for Meteora. Uh, they were thinking about putting it on Hybrid Theory, and eventually mm-hmm. they did it on Meteora instead. But yeah, I, it's funny when it's like someone's writing it, and Chester, who just has such amazing emotion and could really make you think that he wrote everything that Linkin Park has ever done because yeah. of the emotion that he puts in to all these songs that you really feel that it's so genuine that that uh, every lyric that he sings. But yeah, no, that's just a little fun fact for you, Neil. That's awesome. I, I really thought that it was about his uh, his drug addictions from from his life, but that's that's cool to know. I did know about Breaking the Habit that they had to fight really hard to put that song on the album because the producers, you know, they, they want to put heavy stuff. They want to hear Chester screaming and they want to hear heavy guitars. And this song is not that it's there's to, towards the end. I guess you could argue that it does get a little bit screamier, but it's not to the level of uh, Numb or Somewhere I Belong or any of the other songs on the album. So it's a good mix up. I really like it. And my second favorite is a song that not a lot of people talk about, but Nobody's Listening is a really cool song. Uh, It samples a Japanese flute. Yo, peep the style and the kids checking for it. The number one question is how could you ignore it? We drop right back in the cut over basement tracks with rap stack. Got you backing this up like rewind that. We're just rolling with the rhythm. Rise from the ashes of stylistic division. With these non-stop lyrics of life living. Not to be forgotten, but still unforgiven. But in the meantime, there are those who want to talk this and that. It's, it's just a really cool song. I love the rapping in it. I love how it goes into the chorus and that Japanese flute in there. It's really cool. And I... Again, never hear anything like that in other Linkin Park songs or music generally. So that's a really good track. Every time I hear that, I just think of like kung fu movies. Yeah. You know, <laughs> it's, it's a very like the same kind of uh, opening uh, that you would have for those movies too and like the credits or stuff. But yeah, yeah that, it, that, that leads into my actually, I'm sorry, Neil, that's probably, I don't really have a least favorite track on this album because I mm. think every track is good. Even like Session is is a good track, yeah. but it's just you know instrumental. As a kid, you usually skip it because you're just looking for the for the <laughs> vocals. But um, yeah. for me, I would always skip. Nobody's listening, and um, and I kind of regret that because nowadays when I listen to it, I'm like, man, I really like I really like this song. Uh, I think Nobody's Listening is a great addition and a, a great sequencing. It works really well at the end of the album there. Um, and but ten year old me would skip it. Uh, all the time, unfortunately, while wearing my cutoff gloves, uh, using <laughs> <laughs> using my Walkman. But uh, uh, do you have a do you have a least a least favorite or or a song that you probably would skip, uh, especially when you were a kid? I mean, when I was a kid, like you said, Session was the one to skip, and it's because there was no music in it. And I, I wasn't a fan of interludes as a kid, so you know, I just wanted to get to the songs with lyrics and uh, and sing along to it. It's not even a it's it's a great song. It's just it's only drum beats and scratch and and whatnot. So. But uh, if I had to cut a song from the album, it would probably be Figure Nine. And like, it's really hard to cut an, a song from this album because they're all perfect. And if one was missing, it would feel weird. But I feel like that you you have a lot of songs on this album already that are kind of just 
angry songs. So by the time you get to figure nine, which is one of the later songs in the track, it's the eighth uh, song. And then after that, you have Breaking the Habit, From the Inside, which are both great songs. Nobody's Listening, which we've already talked about, Session and Numb. So you can't cut any of those. So... By the time you get to figure nine, I just kind of feel like that we've already had a lot of these types of songs that you're just listening to and getting pissed off at a high school teacher while doing it. <laughs> um, so uh, if I had to cut any, any song, unfortunately, it would be that one. But really, like if you had put figure nine earlier in the album, I would probably love it a lot more and then say, oh, yeah, you got to cut hit the floor. But I, I love that that song. But going back to Nobody's Listening, I, I really appreciate that song just because it's a call and response song. Like you get to hear yeah. Mike Shinoda and Chester Bennington singing and screaming back and forth and rapping back and forth to each other. And it's a it's a really cool effect. I love that. Um, I doubt that they ever did that with like the audience. It wouldn't work. But I love hearing the two of them uh, doing a chorus at the same time, which you don't hear a lot of. So that would have been a cool music video, too. But we didn't get it. Yeah, we, we didn't get it. We did get, of course, uh, three really iconic music videos, uh, which were uh, the one that I remember right away was numb because I remember it was the woman in like the girl in the church and then uh, or and then or I guess the band is in the church, actually, and it's showing the girl who's at school and she's got numb kind of cut into her into her wrist there, which is pretty. I was like, wow, yeah, I forgot that they did that. Like, yeah. uh, they showed that at the time. She's feeling left out and, and feeling sad. And, of course, you have uh, people going uh, sped up, you know, walking <laughs> walking past her. It's a very 2000s music video for sure. But uh, seeing Chester there, and I remember, like, that was kind of his look at the time. And he had glasses. And as a fellow glasses were, I got to give <laughs> I gotta give credit where credit is due. Uh, Chester made uh, wearing glasses in the early 2000s cool all right so <laughs> what about rivers como uh, we've uh, we talked about a couple weeks ago yeah but he was he was like trying to be a nerd right yeah, like yeah, chester yeah. was like you know he's like i'm cool but also chester likes gundams a lot and and True. the arizona coyotes so mm. yeah and they even tie in gundam too to another one of the music videos it's in somewhere i belong right you see gundams yep. on a shelf at some point it's even in the album artwork i think it's in the the lyric book i remember specifically seeing close-ups of i think action figures that was the first time i'd ever seen those before i knew of transformers not of gundams maybe that's how they got into the transformers movies a couple years later but yeah Mm. numb is a really interesting and dark music video i don't remember like pre-2000 there weren't a lot of music videos that focused on uh teen depression and and suicide as well like Mm -hmm. i really think of the billy talent video for nothing to lose being a lot like this uh this music video and they they became a little bit mainstream to a creepy extent in the mid 2000s when all of these depressing emo songs were all over the radio yeah Uh, but this is one of those ones that did it first and did it really well i think numb won awards and it's just a it's a really cool video and it ages pretty well. The only thing that maybe doesn't age well is uh, what the band is wearing. Um, the fashion <laughs> what's, style. What's with Chester's shirt in that? I don't know. All of their shirts. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, the fashion is the fashion, but uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, the Somewhere I Belong video I like a lot because of the Gundams, of course. Uh, yeah. It's also kind of like on like a looks like a Gundam-esque stage. Mm-hmm. That's really hard to explain without actually just wa- watch the video and you'll understand what I'm talking about. Yeah. But uh, that one is very 2003. The rain. The co- why, why was why was every video in the early 2000s, why did it all have like a sepia color correction? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, the colors were always a little bit 
distorted or something and the band the band always had to play in rain or near a waterfall or something it's like how in the 2010s every punk metal band had to play in like a parking garage or in a in a deserted field for some reason (laughs) yeah Yeah, their their early music videos from the first two albums are very interesting because they incorporated cg which was not really a thing and it hasn't aged very well the first album especially uh with um in the end, uh, that that yeah. that is a very weird music video to watch now. And uh, somewhere I belong is one of those music videos too, which like looks strange when they uh, cut to the band playing. But uh, one one music video that has aged very well is the Breaking the Habit again favorite song on the al- album. But that music video is so cool. It's yeah. like an anime cartoon. It almost looks like it was done by AI. We've talked a lot about AI the last little bit. <laughs> I, I love that video. Going back and watching it now, I hadn't seen it in like fifteen years. I was like, holy cow, this this music video is amazing. Like, I think it was made by one of the artists that they work with for their albums. I can't remember who does it. And for the time, it was pretty crazy. Like, now it's, uh, you look at it and you're like, oh, this is, looks like the, like the anime filter on Instagram or something. <laughs> yeah. But it's... Uh, it's pretty. Uh, it's pretty crazy when you think about it. Like this was twenty years. Uh, twenty years ago, it works with the aesthetic uh, of the band at the time too. Like it's. Mm-hmm. I, I seeing it this week. I was like, oh yeah, I completely forgot about it because I was trying to remember what that music video was for uh, Breaking the Habit. For me, I, I remember seeing all these music videos on heavy rotation on in Canada, much music, and I'm sure in the states, MTV. Uh, I think m- music videos are definitely a huge part of why Linkin Park became so big so fast. Oh, absolutely. Like they were played nonstop on much music. I remember that too, especially Faint. I remember why, I remember seeing that one too quite a bit. That was a cool one uh, because you don't see the band for like the first half of it. You just see the crowd. And again, talking about CG, is that is that crowd computer generated, Mike? Do you think that's a real audience? Uh, maybe a little bit. Maybe like like four people are there and they just like, like clone them. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's what it looks like. They just look like they're too in sync. It's a great music video. I highly recommend that one just as like a live performance one. It looks, it's so cool. I love how you, you only see the backs of them for the first half. And then the second half, you can see the front of them performing. It's a really cool, great song too. That's, that's up there. And one of my favorite songs, but all of these songs are really cool. Uh, Lying from you is another, uh, technically has a music video as well, but uh, they did it with uh, tour footage. They had live Mm. footage of them playing and that was considered the official video, which many bands did in the, in the two thousands. And I think bands still do it today, especially warp tour bands. They all did them. Because it was so easy to get footage playing live, which obviously Linkin Park uh, were very notorious for doing. If you check their Spotify, uh, they have they have a live record for every studio record, yeah. which I love that. If if all my favorite bands did that, I would be in I'd be in heaven. I love just going to check out. Oh, you know, how'd this song sound live? And then you hear you hear them playing all of these songs live, and they're incredible. Like they sound just like it almost sounds like that they're they're lip syncing or whatever, but they're not. Like they're just that good live that. Uh, they weren't having live records, which not every band does, <laughs> which uh, you, you learn about listening to bands like NoFX or something who, you know, they have they literally have CDs that say we still suck live. <laughs> so, so there's that. But yeah, Linkin Park, great, great at putting out uh, live stuff, which uh, talking again about that 20th anniversary record that just came out five hours, most of which is demos, remixes, the original album and live performances. Yeah, it's it's amazing collection. Uh, it, it's beautiful, too. Uh, Mike was uh, showing off the, the the full box set, and I was like, "Oh my god, I want this so bad!" But uh, <laughs> but Neil, we do have a special guest joining us today, which is really exciting, and he's going to talk a little bit about his memories about Lincoln Park and, uh, and of course this album. 
Yeah, it's really exciting. I do have a new segment, too, that I want to introduce uh, with this episode. Uh, we're going to talk about some interesting questions, some kind of swaps. Some, it's going to be a fun time. It's going to be a bit of a party with uh, with Meteora. So, uh, Mike, I, I can see that our phone line is ringing. So why don't you bring on our first and, I guess, last guest of the show? <laughs> <laughs> our first and last guest of the show, Neil, is friend of the show, Victor, who has just returned from his uh, stint as a chatbot AI. And mm. we're really excited to have him on. And our first question to you, Victor, is what is your favorite Linkin Park song of all time. Thanks for having me, guys. Um, this one's a little bit tough because I would probably say Paper Cut is just like easily my favorite song. It goes super hard. It's got that classic Linkin Park sound. It's got Johan on the on the mixing, just like really um, love Paper Cut. But and Mike, we've discussed this. Some of my favorite Linkin Park songs come off the Collision Course album that they did with with Jay Z. Ooh. And honestly, it would be tough to pick a favorite song off of that album because so many of them are just, they go so hard. But I would probably say it would be uh, Jigga What slash Fate. Mm, nice. <laughs> I, I love that. That's such a like landmark mashup album. Really, I mean, when I was a kid, that, kid like, that was the only mashup album I've ever even heard of uh, before. I didn't even know this was a thing. Like Numb slash Encore obviously being like, everywhere for years there and such an influential part of of i think all our childhoods for sure and uh yeah victor you're only allowed 20 minutes on the show to talk about collision course <laughs> well you're gonna have to cut another 20 minutes then because i have a lot of things to say about <laughs> collision course although i did think it was interesting i was trying to do a little bit of background for this and it's not especially apparent how that came about so Jay-Z and Linkin Park, obviously huge commercial successes at the time. Linkin Park off the back of Hybrid Theory, Jay-Z just being an icon for decades. And I don't really understand how these two genres would have come together, like how they would have been running in the same circles and actually able to make it happen. Well, it's kind of like Aerosmith and Run DMC in the 80s, like the same thing. Basically, it took 20 years for uh, another collaboration to come up. It kind of makes sense because... Linkin Park is one of those bands that they they dip into being like punk and screamo and new metal and rap rock and hip hop. So you can kind of see how they uh, jump from, I guess, team to team, if you will. So it, it's not 
out of the realm. It'd be weirder for me, like, if they crossed with, like, a country band or something. That would have been strange. Um, so you can kind of see it happening. I'm not a huge fan of Jay-Z. This is probably, these are probably the only Jay-Z songs that I've ever heard in my life, other than, you could probably tell me one, and I'd be like, I've probably heard it. But, yeah, those are the only versions that, uh, those are the only songs by him that I have definitely know that I've heard. Um, it's a good, it's a good mashup, though. I love it. Uh, they have a bunch of those too. I think like if you again check their Spotify, you have a, you have a whole bunch of live albums, and then you have a whole bunch of other remixes. They've worked with a lot of other uh, hip hop rap artists over the years, uh, sampling all their old stuff into new stuff. It's it's cool. I think you're gonna hear Linkin Park samples on uh, hip hop and rap songs for decades to come after they're done their their careers. I do love that, and they were so active, as you said, in the collaboration space and just sort of pushing the boundaries of whatever genre that they were in at the time. You know, on paper, they're a rock band, but they really do go so far beyond that. And they were never scared to explore some of the experimental sounds that, you know, in this day and age, I'm just not sure you'd be able to do that in the same way. No, definitely not. But even at the time, it was was a pretty uh, almost controversial thing, really, that they were, uh, that they were, collabing like this and that they were they, they had a I guess like a rapper so to speak and and a Chester Bennington really in in their midst because uh famously the record company wanted Mike out they did not want Mike there at all they wanted to have uh Chester only and just really push themselves as a rock band you know as a uh, early 2000s, you know, standard kind of new metal style. Uh, like there's so many of them. There are a dime a dozen. And I think if Linkin Park had gone this way, they wouldn't have been very successful. They would have maybe been successful for, with one or two albums. Uh, and then they probably would have fallen off because the their appeal was that hybrid mm-hmm. sound that made them so unique. And especially coming off from Rage Against the Machine being huge in um, the early 90s and then uh, late 90s too. And, and that's probably the closest band you know, I would say to Linkin Park in terms of, of their sound, uh, it definitely comes from that a lot. But uh, the the scratching and the mixing, everything, you know, that that changes changes it too. But it, it's 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 a nice success story, at least, to see them have actually uh, kind of proven the record companies wrong. Yeah, I totally agree. Without Mike Shinoda, there was no chance that they'd have the success they had. And it's interesting to hear that the record label wanted to get rid of Mike because Chester is certainly the front man in not just lyrically, but if you watch the music videos, like growing up, I don't think I necessarily understood the influence that Mike Shinoda had Mm -hmm. on the band in terms of bringing in that hip hop sound, you know, Without him, there's certainly no collaboration with Jay Z. Mm-hmm. There's really not much crossover in genres there. Yeah. So Mike Shinoda comes in with a side project, Fort Minor, that does incredibly well, and then he basically just puts it on the shelf because he's very clearly just interested in pushing himself creatively. And I think that that really came through with the evolution of Lincoln Park as well. Oh, absolutely. And like, yeah, I, I agree. Like, without him, it, it, it's it's just such a it's not a it's not the same band anymore. And uh, I mean, without Chester, it's also not the same band. It's Lincoln Park was such a unique blend of all these guys together mm-hmm. and all their musicianship, and and they make it work so well. And you know, I love Hyper Theory, and and of course, so does Neil. But for me, Meteora is the peak of like all of them working together really well. And making it work perfectly. Uh, I think after this, Minutes of Midnight and the other albums, you know, we we definitely get more of a, a less emphasis on the scratching and the mixing, uh, and even on the rapping for in some uh, instances too. I find that Meteor is like probably the best balanced album of anything that they have. 
Hundred percent. It's. It, I mean, it. On the one hand, like it's sad that they didn't continue their the sound that we love from Hybrid Theory and Meteora. But on the other, like they are very creative people, and they don't want to make the same album again and again, like we have with bands from yeah. the two thousands. Like you look at a band like Rise Against, which I mean, I like some of their stuff, but like you hear their their albums now, and their last ten albums have been more or less the same. <laughs> uh, so it's it's good to see them go to do some lighter stuff, do some poppier stuff, dip back into the heavier stuff with Hunting Party, which I'm going to recommend that people check out that album until the day I die uh, because it's awesome and it came out at a time when you wouldn't think Linkin Park would make anything like that again. And then they went back to doing more uh, experimental stuff. So I, I think bands have to do that, especially bands that have been around for They've been touring musicians for 25 years, 25 to 30 years at this point. Like we heard of Linkin Park in 2000, but they'd been a band since 96. So you can only make those types of songs for so long. Uh, Chester can only scream like that so much. Like, I don't know how uh, in the 2001 to 2002 era when they were touring, they played a show a night on average. They played about 360 shows that year. Uh, I don't know how Jesus. that guy's, I mean, I don't know how that guy kept his vocal cords from just bleeding out. Like no, no exaggeration. And he goes from like, uh, he goes from complete, like soft, you know, vocals to complete mm-hmm. screams. And I've never heard anyone no. else do that. Neil, I hope that was a subtle reference to the Linkin Park song, Bleed It Out. Um, if <laughs> that's, not, maybe, that's a great song. <laughs> maybe just a happy coincidence. But just to further what you guys are saying, like you listen to some of these live recordings and Chester can actually pull it off live. And there's a lot of people who just cannot scream, especially the screaming aspect of their vocal performance. When you hear it live, it is just nails on a chalkboard. And, you know, there's those studio bands where it's a lot of fun to listen to the recording, but boy, nothing ruins that more than than seeing them live. (laughs) And one thing I really liked about Meteora when I consumed it for the first time, it was probably my first introduction to Linkin Park. And then it reflected back on Hybrid Theory, which, if I'm not mistaken, was actually the more successful album um, in terms of record sales and everything. Mm -hmm. But then Meteora sort of was the capstone in my mind of everything that they had been doing over, over the last several years with those two studio albums. And it was one of the first albums I had where it felt like it was more than just the music i don't know if either of you had had the actual cd but i think i just about played it to death in my in my portable discman finally had the rechargeable double a batteries so that my my mcdonald's paychecks were not all just disappearing into the void on those good duracells uh but if you dug into it online they had a whole website there was a ton of graffiti style art that sort of served as like a supplementary component of that and it was just it was a real experience that went beyond the music in a way that I hadn't really had the opportunity to see before from an artist that I really liked. Yeah, you're hundred percent right. Uh, and like I had, uh, I had the CD. I was exactly the same as you. I had my Walkman and or my Discman and and had it in mm-hmm. there all the time. And the yeah, the liner notes. Even I remember uh, you just kind of unlocked a memory uh, there for me, Victor. I remember opening this up. And uh, going upstairs to my room and reading before I even listened to the the, the album at all, I, I read through the entire liner notes that they had in there because there was a lot. Uh, and they talked about each individual song and how they wrote them. And I actually uh, I got a lot of the information for these songs from that. It was great. I I love when artists do that. And it's mostly Mike, I think, who's writing these notes or it seems like it's him. But just basically saying like uh, how they, they came to 
to get these songs together, what they were working on on the road, because yeah, like Neil said, they were touring, touring 360 days of the year between this and the uh, and uh, Hybrid Theory. And Hybrid Theory being uh, uh, such a successful album, for reference, Victor, it's, uh, it's about 30 million sold in comparison to Meteor, 16 million. Uh, 16 million is still a insane amount of records, but having a band like this go diamond uh, in the States is, is really insane. But um, yeah, the... Uh, the fact that they were touring and they wrote most of these songs while touring and they really just kind of uh, got them together in the studio is is really cool. And yeah, I, I love the liner notes, the website for sure, iconic. Um, that was when a lot of these bands uh, seem to start having these websites for their albums. And uh, I don't think most of them are up anymore, unfortunately. Uh, but I did love those like early 2000s sites for stuff, like for media, like sites for movies or sites for albums. Yeah, that was really cool back in the day. And a lot of this is lost now. Like when you like CDs aren't sold, like I don't think any CDs sell 16 million copies, except for maybe uh, Taylor Swift records. That That's pretty much the only thing like it, it's too bad. But like you, you don't get people reading these types of things when they when they get a CD, they don't flip through like this. I, I had the soft case. I've seen some people have the hard plastic jewel case CDs. I, I had like had, a. Yeah. Mine was made of paper. It was it was like a fold-out one, and it had the CD case on the inside. I don't know if maybe I had a later release or something. Um, I'll have to double-check and see like how many different variations of the CD that they had. But it was really cool, and I like Victor said, like when I was in the car, I would I would read the lyrics like while the CD was playing in my discman, and I would go to the tracks that I wanted to listen to, like Breaking the Habit and Nobody's Listening, and skip back and forth like to get to the heavy songs before my hockey game and. <laughs> Um, that, that type of thing, it just uh, d- doesn't happen anymore. Like people just listen to one song off records and then, and then move on. But, uh, Victor, we brought you on today, on today because we wanted to talk about, uh, this record and, and, uh, and pose some interesting questions around it. Uh, some, some questions maybe that we haven't asked, uh, ourselves in the last 20 years of listening to this record. If you could pick one song off this record to play at a wedding, what song would you pick? I mean, so many of the tracks on this album are specifically about like, solitude and being alone and <laughs> yeah. rejecting and hate. relationships <laughs> and being angry uh it is right it is hard to pick one that's not going to have a lyric that all of a sudden you're going to go oh that's uh that may not fit at all grandma might not join the dance floor for this one numb is just a guaranteed banger again at a wedding it's not the vibe it's probably not going to align with the sort of um the sort of ambiance that you're trying to create but if you want to go into that wedding fired up i'm i'm voting numb yep done yeah numb no numb, okay. numb was gonna be mine too i think yeah because it, it's a good one to play later in the night i would say like you're 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 quite a few drinks deep everyone's all the friends are on the dance floor the the, the families have left and now it's just your if you're our age, it's just the mid the early two thousands bangers. It's just the nostalgia that's coming out. But uh, but what about you, Neil? Yeah, I'll deviate a little bit. I'm gonna go with "Hit the Floor." I think that would be a great wedding song. <laughs> that's the one that starts with like the do no 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 do no no do no 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 do no 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 I think that'd be a really good. It's a good hip hop song. Like the verses are pretty good. Like for dancing, uh, the chorus might not. Uh, <laughs> might not carry the the dance quite as well it's got a great breakdown i think if you're gonna have a mosh pit at a wedding this would be the one to go with um <laughs> i don't know i i really like this song. i like i do like the rapping and it's got like a pretty good like whisper almost yeah. uh bridge uh, and then it goes right back into chester just screaming his lungs out on top. 
Yeah, that's the one. Um, uh, walking on eggshells all day long. Yeah, <laughs> my, my answer to that one is uh, hit the floor. So very good. Uh, Mike and I already talked about this a little bit earlier, which was our least favorite songs on the record. But uh, if you had to cut one song from this album, Victor, what uh, what song would you pick? Ooh, tough question again. Um, also, for the record, when you said which song would you play at a wedding, for some reason in my head, that was the song they were walking down the aisle to. <laughs> <laughs> Not that. Walking down the aisle to Numb is fantastic. Ooh. Oh, my God. <laughs> that probably is the choice. Yeah, if you're talking about walking down the aisle, that would be it. Uh, no, I just meant like generally, anytime at the wedding. So picture yourself walking down the aisle to hit the floor and Numb. <laughs> <laughs> okay okay um in terms of least favorite and honestly i i would have to spend probably years in careful reflection to provide a good <laughs> answer to this but off the top right. of my head i'm gonna say it's track 11 nobody's listening yeah and it's, it's mostly the production side of things i think lyrically it's pretty up to par with the rest of the lincoln lincoln park canon and certainly with the rest of this album. But the production on it is pretty understated. It hasn't aged particularly well. It has kind mm. of that like weird half whistle going on in the background. And it just kind of jogs along. It's a little bit repetitive. And, you know, I think it fits the aesthetic of the album. And if you're listening to it uh, straight through, which I highly recommend, it, it certainly works with what they are trying to do. But if I were going to knock one out of there without missing it, I would go with Nobody's Listening. Yeah. Damn. And, and, and I, I, it's one of Neil's favorite songs. And I'll let him uh, have his rebuttal. But uh, <laughs> well, I said that, too, for, for similar reasons. For me, like, it just as a as a like 11-year-old listening to this, it just was a song that really didn't grip me like the rest of these songs. Basically, everything else on, on this this album are bangers like even uh somewhere i belong which is a bit of a slower melody um and slower beat like it's the bridge you like oh my god you get so emotional on that bridge when chester hits that high note like oh man nobody's listening doesn't quite have that oomph to it i think that's that's for me as well yeah, my defense of nobody's listening was only because I, I love that flute in the background. I love that uh, that Japanese flute. I like the call and response between Chester and Mike. I think it's really cool and, and not like anything that they do very often, if at all. I was trying to think of more songs, but uh, but I couldn't. Um, I, we, we talked about it earlier, but my not least favorite song on the album, but just the one that I feel like you could cut would be Figure 09, just because we have a lot of heavy, angry, screaming songs. And I feel like by the eighth or ninth song on the album, like you, you could you could cut one and not miss it. So that would probably be my choice. I would still hate to cut any of these songs because they're all regularly on my on my Spotify playlist, listening to it in the gym. So uh, missing one more heavy song would be too bad. Mm -hmm. I feel like the easy answer could be Session. Like you could probably leave that song out and not completely miss it. But it is cool to have that interlude in here. Right before Nam, um, it kind of like gets you ready, you know? <laughs> yeah, and it gives, it gives Joe Hahn something to do too on the record. I mean, you listen to their live <laughs> stuff and uh, he's obviously really good to have live. Uh, he can fill in some dead space and uh, and play and have like little solos and whatnot. So it, it's, it's obviously one that you can skip when you're 10 years old and just want to hear Chester scream and Mike rap. But great answers. I, I love it. I'm going to I would miss nobody's listening, not on the album. But uh, if you could pick a Linkin Park song from a different album and add it to this one, uh, what would it be? And let's say not hyper theory. That's too easy. Oh, okay. Sure. Not Hyper Theory and, and not any of the new tracks off the new album. Yeah. Cool. Boy, that really cuts down the options. And also, for the record, <laughs> Figure 0 0.9 was a low-key sleeper track. When I was listening to it on my walk home from work the other day, I was going, 
this is actually a lot better than I remember. It's talking about like internalizing anger and how you're the only person that that you're ultimately hurting. And so it's funny that the one I would cut is a favorite of Neil's and the one Neil was talking about cutting is actually one of my own favorites. But maybe that just speaks to the fact that it's a solid album overall. And, oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, you can't really go wrong. Yeah. Uh, in terms of what I would sub in from another album, it's tough if you eliminate hybrid theory because stylistically it was certainly the most similar to Meteora. And so to find another one that actually fits with the the feel of that album, I think is, is tough. I would maybe say, and again, I'm not sure it fits with the album, but I like what I've done. Mm-hmm. What I've done mm-hmm. off of Minutes to Midnight was was a solid track, one of only a couple songs on that album that that really sort of resonated with me. And so if I had to just sub something in, recognizing it doesn't necessarily fit the tone, that that would be my pick. Yeah, I think that's a pretty uh, good one too. I, I just I just wanted to eliminate hybrid theory just because, like you said, Vic, they they all could fit there. They're all very much still in that same style. There's there's certainly some that probably wouldn't fit as great, but um, uh, but. I think it's all—it's just another album full of bangers, and one of Linkin Park's issues is after Meteora, you basically got—I kind of think of it as like a greatest hits collection. If you put all the albums that they did after Meteora into like a greatest hits album, like that's like that would be perfect. Just like take the best songs from them, um, but they're they're certainly not complete albums. Uh, for me, I think um, Minutes to Midnight is probably the album to take something from. I like Given Up. Uh, quite a bit is like the first tr- track. I think it's oh no, Wake is like technically the first track. I think yeah. It's so the it's the second. second. Track, it's the it's the I first think. one I listen to because I would skip it all <laughs> awake all the time. So I yeah, think Given Up is pick. is probably what I would pick. You stole my choice there. I would have gone with Given Up too. I oh, damn, I, I didn't love that. Yours, no, that's all right. That's all right. <laughs> I uh, I love that song. I, I would pick it for uh, Meteora just because it gives uh, Dave the bassist. I feel like the bass doesn't really get a lot of time to shine on Meteora, and uh, those verses are just bass and drums. It sounds re- it's really stripped down. It's just bass, drums, and Chester uh, for the most yeah. part. There's no Mike Shinoda in this one, which is a bit of a he's missed unfortunately, but. It's got an incredible scream, uh, like uh, maybe two thirds of the way through the song uh, in the bridge or something. Uh, hearing the live version of that is unreal. Um, but I, I love that song. It's really good. Good angry song. Great gym song. Minutes to Midnight is a weird one where it's like it's filled with some really good songs and then songs that I skip. It's one that I listened to yep. a little bit in high school. What I've done is a is a great song. I love it off that one. Given up and then bleed it out, which uh, Victor talked about earlier. Any one of those three songs on to Meteora would be really cool. Um, so uh, good choices all around. If you guys could take one song and change it into a country song, which song would you pick? Glad we're going right back on the country, uh, <laughs> the country yeah. road here. Oh, I love this question. Okay. Because um, <laughs> I think there's actually quite a few of them that work. Because although the music couldn't be more different, you know, stylistically, I think the content and, and the lyrics are, like, oddly translatable. Just considering that a lot of it's about, like, my dog ran away and my woman's no good and all of the, all of that sort of thing so i i think it fits the ethos i would maybe i would go with easier to run and maybe that's just because the mm. tempo is already just like a little bit more traditional in terms of sort of a, a pop song that you would hear in the country genre and i i can just hear it in my head easier to run as a country song um feel free to 
listeners record a version and send it in. Uh, I think we would all thoroughly enjoy that. Oh I was going to say, please. do you want to sing a few bars in uh, in country? That'd be fantastic. But yeah, I guess if we have any country listeners out there, please uh, convert easier to run into country and send it into Victor and uh, show him what it sounds like. <laughs> what about you, Mike? Do you have uh, do you have any ideas for a country song on Meteora? Oh man, that's a really good pick. Good job, Victor. That's you killed it. That I didn't pick that, but now I'm like thinking of it. Uh, I I probably should have. I went easy here, at least in my opinion. I I I picked numb, and I picked it because in in terms of country, I'm thinking more of a bit of an alt country here. I'm thinking in terms of Johnny Cash singing hurt, uh, kind of style. Uh, and I can I can kind of see him him singing, you know, of. Become so numb, I can't feel you there. Just like super slow with just like, you know, one guitar, one acoustic guitar with them. So it'd just be a really sad country version of the song, very similar to how Hurt was done uh, for um, for Nine Inch Nails. But yeah, that's that's mine. I just like Victor's better. I'm like upset with mine. <laughs> you picked numb for too many uh, questions here. That's the problem. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, you could probably turn numb into just about any type of song and it would work. Um, yes. I went with Lion from You uh, just because right away mm-hmm. that sounds like a country song. Uh, and then the lyrics uh, sound like that they could be converted into a country song. Mine would be like, you know, long drawn out chords. You got to have some slide guitar in there. Uh, maybe have a fiddle playing underneath. You know how it is. You know when I pretend everything is what I can't. I can't say it not like Mike Shinoda, but like when. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm not even gonna try it. I'll uh, maybe I'll try and record something on my acoustic guitar. <laughs> when uh, you're uh, turn it into a, gr- a post grunge song. <laughs> <laughs> everything country just goes back to. Post-grunge. I think it would just be really interesting to turn mostly a rap hip hop song into a country song, and I think that one would. Uh, it could work pretty well. The lyrics sound like that they could translate very well. But the last question I have of the day, and I'll start with you here, Mike, because I feel like that you'll uh, you'll be ready for this one. But uh, it's bottom of the ninth, bases loaded. Uh, you got a full count, or I guess not. Bottom of the ninth, bases loaded. You're up to the plate. Uh, it's a game. It's a ga- World Series game. You're coming up to the plate here at the Rogers Center in Toronto. Uh, what song off of Lincoln Park's Meteora is going to play over the speakers? And next to bat. Number 21, Mike Lane. That was solid, Mike. You really hit the post on that one. Thank you. Thank you, Victor. Yeah, I was uh, <laughs> a radio professional told me I hit the post right. So now I can die happy. But <laughs> uh, but uh, I like that. I, I, I like songs that kind of have that nice little intro. One of the things I love about Summer... I belong. It has that that nice little build up into the intro too. Um, I, looking at this week, um, I was putting some of the songs in our episode to to feature when we uh, we can play them while we talk about them. And the entire waveform, uh, all the bars are just it's just one big block most of the time <laughs> on this album. Nice. It's just constant highs, you know. And so it's nice to have a little bit of a, a dynamic shift there. And and. I feel like it's somewhere I belong. I belong on this team, guys. It's me telling my teammates I really belong. Very good. I love that choice. It does have a bit of a soft opening, but it does hit real hard once it uh, gets started. But uh, Mm -hmm. Victor, do you have a song that comes to mind for for your walk-up song in the MLB? Well, this is probably a controversial pick, so feel free to shoot it down. But I would go with, off of Collision Course, the Points of Authority 99 Problems One Step Closer mashup. Because... In terms of pump-up songs, to this day, 20 years later, 
few songs actually get me as excited as as that combination. And it has all the best parts of Jay-Z, it has all the best parts of Linkin Park, and those two together are just beautiful. And the one other thing I'll say about this album that it does really well, which I don't think I realized when I used to listen to it, that little guitar feedback sound right before everything comes crashing in with the rest of the band, yeah. they use it constantly and i'm not even mad it works for them i say do it i am fully in support it's the kind of thing where you know do one thing really really well and boy do they i you know what i never even thought of that before but you're 100 percent right like they 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 use that feedback as you heard it just in somewhere i belong there they use that feedback a lot when they when they get uh get really heavy and it works it 100 percent works for the band i think it also works because of the scratches and the mixing like i think it just it goes along really well uh and i i also like that kind of style because it doesn't make it too perfect you know it makes it feels like it feels like there's like rougher edges around all these songs they don't feel they don't feel extremely produced and that's one thing i really love about this album and also great pick i'll allow it i know it's from collision course Mm -hmm. but it does have one step closer so can we just shout out han their producer like you're in this incredible band with global popularity but if you do a bit of research on the guy he doesn't even really consider himself a musician lincoln park is kind of the only thing that he's done what he's really into is like video fx yeah he did video effects for for the x files wow where does that come from he's produced a ton of different music videos so kudos to the guy for who lincoln park was his side project anyway (laughs) sorry to get us sidetracked uh neil your walk-up song off of this album yeah, no, my, mine would be, you know, ladies and gentlemen. Well, what, yeah, the, the, the announcer would have to say ladies and gentlemen every single time. And then if I get out, they would say, what a nice young man. That would have to be my thing. I'd res- I would request that. Uh, but he would say, ladies and gentlemen, joining the plate now. I don't know why I'm joining the plate. Standing at 6-2 from Toronto, Ontario, Neil Gilbert. And then they'd play this. Yeah, are you allowed to do a lap while you approach the plate? Like, just a quick run around all three bases just to get people going? No, I do the whole field. I high-five everyone in the first row in the stadium. And then and then, and then, then a baseball bat comes down from the sky. Doves bring down my bat. And then I take the plate. That's, that's how I would come to the plate, bottom of the ninth, hands down. And that's a great song. I love Faint. That's such a good track. I'm already hyped up. I'm just yeah. I'm I'm imagining it. Also, I hope you do a little dance like to it, you know, a little oh, of course. Little, little skank, small skank while you're going up. <laughs> oh yeah. For for Marty, I'd have to give a little ska uh, reference in there, a little skank, but uh, that's all the questions <laughs> that I have for you guys for today's Meteora segment. A little fun uh fun round of questions there. A lot of fun. Great record. I could talk about this album all day, but uh, I think we're just about out of time. That's about all I have. What about you, Mike? Yeah, that's uh, that's about all I have, too. Uh, it's been great talking about some Meteora. Victor, uh, anything else you'd like to say about this album or Collision Course? Well, I appreciate you guys bringing me on to talk about it, for starters, because Meteora was actually, like, a pretty pivotal point in 
my life, you know, coming into high school and just starting to hit that age and being angry at the world and not having any reason to just classic teenage angst like this album lived in a very special place in time and i think it lives in a very special place in a lot of people's hearts and you know r.i.p to chester and his struggles i i think they really came through in the album and you know i hope that for a lot of people it helped them do something healthy with the way that they felt and help them feel like they weren't alone and that there's productive ways that that you can channel that energy. And at the end of the day, I mean, that is kind of what music is supposed to do for us. And so, yeah, this album, special place in my heart. Yeah, I mean, that's a great way to put it for sure. Yep. It, it, it held such a place in my heart as well. And I remember when Chester died, uh, in 2017, I think it was in the summer. It was in June. It, it was it was sometime like that, and that was I was I got really emotional. I got like I didn't expect myself to get that emotional when he died, and I was like, oh my god, because uh, uh, we had just had so many other big uh, artists die. A uh, Prince, uh, George Michael, um, uh, Bowie had just died that year, and then of course Chris Cornell, yeah. and uh, and you know I I obviously was really big Bowie fan and and I was shocked absolutely shocked when he died uh and then yeah when hearing um uh, Chester died I, I just it wasn't even shock it just was like oh my god like it felt like a, a piece of me died in a way because I definitely associated him with a big part of my childhood so uh yeah that was uh I was pretty shook up that day that was a tough day yeah yeah july july 20th 2017 was the day I, we told it at the beginning of the episode i was at work and uh, victor like everybody i worked at a grocery store and everybody in the entire store that worked there we were all like in our 20s 30s like everybody knew who he was and we were all sad like everyone was reading the news getting updates what was going on it was it was it was terrible it was terrible like it was a huge he was a huge part of all of our high school junior high school years and for some of us adulthood years uh, made bad days better, uh, made hard times easier. Um, on the one hand it was shocking, but on the other hand, like someone who, you know, with his upbringing and the songs that he wrote and the way that he, you know, presented himself, like it wasn't surprising, unfortunately. Like it was like, how did we, it was one of those, like, how did we not see this Mm -hmm. kind of thing? Like, I mean, I'm sure that he seeked out professional help and everything like that, but for some people it's just, they're in just completely different realms than I am. Like I, I love these songs. I, I, I say that I can relate to them, and, and but I really like I, I've had a very blessed uh, upbringing. Uh, so like <laughs> none of these songs really. I never had drug abuse. I was never physically abused or anything. So like I don't relate to them like that. But they, they still make you know even the easiest hard times just a little bit better. Yeah, so. Yeah. R.I.P. to Chester, and uh, I hope everybody out there enjoys listening to old Linkin Park songs, new Linkin Park songs. There's there's good stuff in all these records. I know some people like everything that they put out, and that's great. Uh, that's great for them. And really glad to have Victor on today to talk about uh, the early stuff back in the Collision Course days in Meteora. And I guess uh, listeners, if you if you uh, recognize Victor's voice, it's because he lends himself to all of the jingles that we uh, that we put on this show. So, uh, Victor, what do you have to say to the the people out there that have heard you for hundreds of episodes at this point? Oh, boy. Um, (laughs) Well, it was very difficult doing the robot voice. For whatever reason, (laughs) the robot voice episode that we did with the AI bit, I was sitting there being like, how does a robot talk? Literally, Victor (laughs) Googles how to talk like a robot. (laughs) As much as these liners come and go in about three seconds, I spent an embarrassing amount of time um, 
locked in whatever is serving as a recording booth for me that day, trying trying to get them just <laughs> right. So I've I have a ton of fun doing it, and I am uh, yeah very grateful for the opportunity because it's it's a ton of fun. Oh well, we're very grateful to have you uh, uh, on call doing these uh, these silly things that we ask you to do. Uh, we really appreciate <laughs> it, uh, and uh, yeah, hopefully you can go. Well, you are home, but hopefully at home today you can listen to uh, Meteor's twentieth anniversary edition. Check out some of those B sides; they're pretty good. Lost, especially, great song, great song. Awesome. All right, thanks, guys. Thanks, buddy. See you later. Take care. What a nice young man. What a nice young man. Thank you so much, Victor, for coming on today. Killing it, as always. He, it's such a treat when Victor comes on. He does his research, of course. He doesn't need to do his research. He knows everything about this album. We we have another 50-minute uh, side chat, me and him, that we'll have for Collision Course. So maybe we'll make that into <laughs> its own episode. Uh, but yeah, we, we really appreciate him coming on, uh, doing all the jingles for us uh, like he always does. And um, just, just being a great guy. Just being a great guy, he's kind of like the unofficial third member of the podcast. Yeah. Really, he's on. He's been in every episode, just like you and I have, in in jingle form. So uh, he's everyone out there has heard Victor's voice just as much as they've heard ours. So it's nice to have him come on and talk about an album that he's very passionate about, and and one that mm-hmm. we're very passionate about indeed. And it's uh, it's crazy to think, Mike, that it's been twenty years since uh, we we discovered the term angst, and uh, and we started to enter our adolescent years uh, with some great music, some uh, hybrid theory, some collision core and some Meteora. And uh, thankfully, about a week ago, we uh, we received the 20th anniversary record. Uh, we talked a little bit about it before. Uh, it's five hours of Linkin Park content with the original album, live album, the demos, new tracks. And before we close out today, I do want to talk a little bit about uh, a few of the new tracks that we got on uh, on in this content, I suppose it's a, it's a meaty file on, uh, on Spotify, but the, uh, the, the tracks of note here are, uh, we have lost fighting myself, more, the victim, massive healing foot. And, uh, there's a couple others thrown in there too, like demos and whatnot. There's uh, a dot Oh six. I'm not really sure what that means. A mix of, uh, you know, good and bad. A couple that I think are, are definitely missing from, uh, from Meteora specifically lost. That's a terrific track. Have you had a chance to listen to these new, uh, these new songs? Yeah. How did lost not make it on Meteora? That uh, the, I don't know. the only thing I could think of why it wouldn't be on is because it maybe sounds too similar to the rest of the songs on there, but I mean, it's still fantastic. Like, uh, and even fighting myself, uh, another great track. Uh, and I was, I was excited to hear that one too. I think loss is probably the standout of this entire mix. And the fact that we had to wait 20 years to hear this, uh, this really nicely polished version. Now, I'm not sure what state it was in before they had it. Uh, maybe it was, uh, was pretty rough and they did a lot of producing and engineering to, to make it sound better, bring out the vocals. Hyper Theory certainly for the 20th anniversary edition of that certainly didn't have a song as good as Lost on its B sides, uh, on its its uh, six, on its sixth disc, <laughs> so to speak here, <laughs> um, and and yeah, so I was I was pleasantly surprised to hear these songs. Uh, More of the victim, yeah, massive, healing foot. They're they're all good. There there's some that certainly you know the I think the last. Uh, two songs that are massive and healing foot i'm like yeah i can see why this didn't make the album that's fine but yeah. the first three uh finding myself lost and more of the victim they could have easily been on uh on meteora yeah b-sides would have been great i love lost and more of the victim uh specifically fighting myself is pretty good like they're all really good and it's nice to have these new songs it's it's almost like that i, I wish that these types of things would come out for, from now until the end of time yeah. for lincoln park but you have to imagine that they're reaching the end of 
this era of what they had hidden in the uh, the depths. There is a, another song in the middle of the uh, the mix. I don't know how they got to the track listing here, but there's another one called Standing in the Middle, which is just straight up a hip-hop song. It, there's no Chester in it. It's just rap, and uh, it, it's Mike Shinoda and someone else. I'm not sure who's in there. Um, but I heard it, and I was like, man, this would be a great tune in uh, like uh, Tony Hawk Pro Skater. Like I could picture myself playing PS1. Uh, or N64 back in the day listening to this song. It would have been a great, uh, great one in there because I don't (laughs) think that they're in any of those earlier uh, Tony Hawk games. They might be in one of the later ones in the late 2000s, but um, they they feel like a band that missed that that era, unfortunately. But uh, Mike, we do like to bring up uh, the the book 1001 Video Games You Must Play Before You Die, and there's another version of that book, which is 1001 Albums You Must Listen To Before You Die. But tragically, Meteora is not in that book, which is incorrect if i do say so um so why don't you read a chatbot version of uh meteora for a thousand and one records you must play before you die do you have something like that uh, in your notes i do i have Vicbot 1.0 good so uh he's uh, he created uh now victor he was human he's now back to bot form okay uh we had to bring him to life as a human just for this episode and then now he's a bot again but uh, yeah meteor not in a thousand one albums and neither was hybrid theory i was really surprised about both of those not being included considering how big they were and how well they sold too that book is no longer valid <laughs> it's no longer valid so instead i asked the chatbot victor chat uh 1.0 to rate a review in the style of a thousand one albums you must hear before you die and this is how it goes neil okay i'm ready Linkin Park's Meteora is a timeless album that continues to captivate audiences with its unique blend of heavy rock, rap, and electronic music. The album is a masterful combination of powerful vocals, dynamic guitar riffs, and intricate drum beats that create a sound that is both aggressive and melodic. From the opening track forward to the final song, Session. Uh, That's technically not right, Victor. (laughs) Uh, Each song flows seamlessly into the next, creating a cohesive listening experience. What sets Meteora apart from other albums is its ability to tackle complex emotions and themes. Songs like Somewhere I Belong and Breaking the Habit deal with feelings of isolation and self-doubt, while Numb explores the struggle of feeling numb and disconnected from the world. The lyrics are raw and honest and resonate with listeners on a deep level. Overall, Meteora is a timeless masterpiece that makes it a must-listen for any music lover. Linkin Park's legacy will forever be defined by this album and the impact it had on the music industry and its fans. Beautiful. Like I, I definitely think Meteora is in in the in the race for a thousand and one albums you must uh, listen to before you die. I think we should write that album. I, I definitely think that there's some uh, some duds in that book. If uh, Lincoln Park, do they have any albums in that book? No, they do not, Neil. No, uh, I mean if if what? those well if those two didn't make it, then the other ones aren't going to. <laughs> I suppose. I guess maybe minutes to midnight might have just because it's got uh, it's got what I've done and it's got a couple others in there that are a bit more palatable for. I would assume someone probably like a Gen X or a Boomer wrote that book, mm, so yeah. I'd assume maybe that one might have uh, slipped into their playlist at some point. But uh, that's that's a crime. Uh, Lincoln Park is definitely. In the top uh, echelon of rock bands, I assume uh, before we close out, do you think that they'll ever make it into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? Not that that means anything, but like, do you, do you think we'll ever see them inducted? I think so. Yeah, yeah it makes sense. Uh, they they're so big, and and this leads into my final thoughts really nicely. So thank you, Noel. Uh, there we go. <laughs> that I don't think as a kid and even as an adult, I I ever really truly grasped how big. Uh, this album and Hybrid 3 were, uh, I mean, I knew that everyone had it and everyone listened to it, but uh, as it, when you're a kid, you just assume that everyone listens to everything that you listen to, Right. Uh, which uh, at the time was partly true because media was so ubiquitous uh, 20 years ago. 
But uh, but looking back and kind of from a present day lens, uh, Lincoln Park was huge and remains huge. Like Meteor 20 is getting crazy hype. There's been a mm-hmm. bunch of radio stations and things like Sirius XM playing only Lincoln Park songs last week in honor of the album's anniversary. Uh, they bring in 35.2 million listeners a month on Spotify on their monthly listeners uh, uh, chart there. That's absolutely crazy. So for context, Neil, some of the biggest names in the industry, uh, Olivia Rodrigo, she brings in 30, 35.9, the same amount as Lincoln Park. Wow. And Lincoln Park has been inactive for six years <laughs> and, and, and honestly hasn't really be sold big records since then either. So um, that's just insane to me. And, and another more context here, uh, Green Day, 24 million a month, Blink, uh, 16 million. Uh, and then we go to the other echelon of Kendrick Lamar. He's 43 million. Adele at the top there, 51 million. So like to think that Lincoln Park is in that echelon of popularity and stardom is, is absolutely insane. And it's so sad to, to say this, but I think this is partly due, honestly, to, to Chester dying early. Um, I think he's he's certainly made an impact here on sales and streams. I think a lot of people uh, like us uh, went back and listened to a lot of Linkin Park and have continued to, to go back and listen to Linkin Park since his passing. Uh, just to, you know, remember those times, remember him as an artist, too. Um, and, uh, and that, that's just something that happens in the music industry. When someone dies, the, they sell more records. That's, <laughs> that's the yeah. uh, reality. Um, so it's, it's really interesting to, to see how big Lincoln Park was and still, uh, is today. Yeah. I had no idea that they were that big compared to the contemporary big, uh, stars right now that are, you know, getting big off of TikTok and, uh, and whatever else it is that you know, YouTube music, which I guess is another genre entirely. But, uh, yeah, you're right that I, I think the last six years have, uh, mainly been, I, I don't want to say mainly been because of Chester's death, because I, I think that their songs really do age well. Oh yeah. Um, I think, I think listening to hybrid theory now, like you can still pick out things that you didn't hear 20 years ago and listening to, you know, new, newly released demos and live versions. I think there's a lot of enjoyment out of that. It probably does add to it a little bit that, that, uh, that he's passed and that the band is on a bit of a, a hiatus. It, it's too bad to think that they're probably never going to be able to replace him and that they, we may never see another Linkin Park album again. And if, if we do, it'll be very different than what we're used to. I hope that they don't try and replace Chester because that I don't think is the right move. I think the best thing for the band to do is probably to go out and, and explore their own things, you know, become producers, uh, maybe start different bands, uh, start different side projects. Like we talked about with Johan being a, a VX artist, uh, for the X-Files, which is really cool. It's great to see Mike Shinoda doing really well in his solo stuff. Like he, uh, his single, I think is the, the track, the title track for the new, uh, Scream movie, uh, which is really cool, but it's good to see him doing like horror films now. Like that feels like his, like their, the Lincoln Park brand, like their wheelhouse, like that kind of, you know, Scream and, uh, you know, teenage horror films and stuff like that. It's, it's, uh, I like to see them kind of landing and doing something productive and something good you know even though we don't get another even if we don't get another meteora level album again it's it's nice to see that the band is doing well doing things that make them happy and uh it's just like they they we've grown with them they've grown with us so um yeah i I look forward to seeing what they do in in the future do you have any thoughts on what you'd like to see out of lincoln park uh going forward we're we're coming up on 20 years of minutes to midnight maybe uh you can jump in in 2027 (laughs) No, I think I'll dr- jump in in 2028 for Meteor 25, uh-huh. and uh, okay. and maybe some more tracks will come out then. Uh, and and honestly, uh, Minutes to Midnight that 
20th anniversary might not be too bad because I feel like there's probably a lot of really good B-sides and really good songs that they decided not to release and go for because they were maybe not poppy enough or not fitting that 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 genre that they were going for at the time. So Either way, Neil, I'm excited to see what the future brings. Um, I know that they probably won't be, you know, continuing on as a band, which is fine. That's good. Leave it be. If you want to just keep putting out these 20th, 25th, 30th anniversary editions, please, I'm all for it because this was an amazing, amazing um, uh, anniversary uh, collection that they put out. Uh, just great, great tracks all around. Got me nostalgic again. And it was a good excuse to uh, talk about one of my favorite albums of all time. Yeah, exactly. I loved it. I've been looking forward to doing this episode for 20 years. Uh, so it's uh, <laughs> nice to finally have talked to talked about it with you on this podcast. But Mike, while we're waiting for the 50th anniversary of Meteora to come out, why don't you let listeners know what they can expect next week on episode eight of the Unlocking What Was Cool podcast. On episode eight, Neil, it just feels right. We're doing Tony Hawk's underground uh, uh we're going to be talking about thug uh, one of our favorite games uh of all time and it's going back to uh a earlier episode we did for the gamecube is cool series uh episode 16 i believe so in september 2020 it's been almost three years since we've covered this game and we covered this game along with all the other tony hawk games for the gamecube so we're just going to be focusing on the underground uh, series and and diving into to that game and and the community around it so it's gonna be a lot of fun and another 2003 game so we get to celebrate 20 years once again neil that is a bit of a theme going around right now, which is cool. No, I'm really excited to, to talk about a Tony Hawk game, especially since it seems like those that series is on a weird hiatus right now, which doesn't make any sense. I think the Thug games are fantastic and just begging to be remastered and maybe remade. But uh, we only have our GameCube version right now, which, like you said, we talked about three years ago now, basically, which is insane to think. So it's going to be a lot of fun to go back and revisit it. We're going to get to dive a little bit deeper into it because we're going to have you know a full episode as opposed to covering four other Tony Hawk games at the same <laughs> time. So it's going to be a ton of fun. I'm looking forward to covering it again with you. But until then, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening to episode seven of the Unlocking What Was Cool podcast. New episode every Thursday on all the major podcast services. Leave us a rating and a review so we can make the show better. And if you're a Spotify listener, please keep writing in with the new Q&A feature. We love reading your comments so far. You can support the show by going to patreon.com forward slash unlocking what was cool. Supporters at the $5 level get the option to submit and vote on a topic for our monthly Patreon elected episode. Follow us on Instagram and join the weekly conversation on our Discord channel. Share us with your friends and family. Tell Boris Telegan, Mike says hi. Thank you so much for the support, and we will see you next week. See you later. Bye-bye. The Unlocking What Was Cool podcast is a recorded and produced show from Toronto, Canada, and hosted by Mike Lane and Neil Gilbert. Additional voices provided by Victor Young. Special thank you to our Patreon supporters at the $5 level. I Rebel, Dean Donian, Joey Sirico, Link, Marty Thompson, Double Ugly, Benito Benito, AJ Olson 11, Pedro Marquez, Cube Dude, Bogus Lotus, Jude, and Way Overrated. Boris Tulligan, the uh, seventh member of Lincoln Park.
<laughs> Delta, if you will. I when I used to look at the the uh, the case, I used to think he might have been the lead singer. This was like before yeah. I uh, I saw the music videos. I was like, oh, that must be the guy who's screaming. I don't know. <laughs> Chester, he's a big spray painter, obviously. I mean, probably. <laughs>